Genesis chapter 30 this morning, we're, we're walking through the story of the life of Jacob. As always, I want to begin with a story, a stupid story, a corny story. Um, I think everybody knows that Roger is my brother back there in the very back corner. And um, when we were much, much dumber than we are today, we were in our early 20s, we got in business together. And the way that worked was I was working in Oklahoma City at the time, and I met a guy who had an auto detail shop and kind of made friends with him. And he was working only for car dealers. And he was amazing. And he let me kind of hang around and ask questions. And I thought to myself, hey, I can do this. So I talked Roger into throwing in with me. I mean, how hard could that be? And we started something called Morgan Brothers Auto Salon in Chickasha, Oklahoma. I mean, we had embroidered shirts. We leased a shop building, and we got after it. And, and we were very, very enthusiastic. We had such high hopes. We lasted about a year. <laughs> and we figured out, it didn't take very long to figure out, that it was hard, really hard. We were charging $35 a unit, and so we could do maybe two a day if we worked long days, and we were working exclusively for car dealers. They're jerks, and they, they complained about spending $35, and they were very, very demanding. So when my former boss called me and asked me to come back to the job that I left, I kissed Roger goodbye, and I went back to the corporate world. Now, the reason I tell you this story is that because I have this question. What would provoke two energetic yet ignorant boys to, number one, quit their jobs with no money and no training, quit their jobs and start a business? The answer is dissatisfaction with status quo. And you know what I'm talking about. Every one of us relate to that. Even if you have the best job in the world, we all go through seasons of restlessness and frustration. And it happened to Jacob. Who's Jacob? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Jacob, the protagonist of our story, is the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. And he's the carrier of the covenant, the, the promise. And this is where the issue comes in for us. Because Jacob was an absolute scoundrel. And if God had asked our advice, we would have had told him to choose someone other than Jacob. God, please, not Jacob. But just to kind of pick up from where we left off the story, Jacob ripped off his older brother Esau and ran for his life. And he got to a place called Haran, where he met a girl named Rachel. He was actually her cousin. And he was smitten instantly, love at first sight. And his uncle Laban, Rebecca, his mom's sister and Rachel's dad, saw that Jacob was completely eaten up with it and decided to leverage that for his advantage. Guys, why do we get in this weakened condition? That's another sermon. We'll talk about that another time. So Laban took advantage of Jacob's love for his daughter and wrangled a deal in which Jacob would work seven years in exchange for Rachel's hand in marriage. Well, after the honeymoon, the next morning, Jacob wake up and has 
Rachel's older sister Leah in his bed. Wait a minute. And he confronted Laban and Laban said, oh yeah, that's the rule, man. I'm sorry. You have to marry the older daughter before you can marry the younger daughter. But I've got a deal for you. Another seven years. You can marry Rachel now, but you have to commit to another seven years. So Jacob agreed to that and settled in with both wives. And the plot thickens. He started a family with, with Leah. Rachel was barren at first, but then she wasn't barren. It's just a twisted story. Go read it for yourself in Genesis 29 and 30. But today, where we're at now, Jacob has fulfilled his 14-year commitment and he's decided that he's unhappy with his working situation. Laban has been getting rich on Jacob's efforts. And he found, Jacob found himself in that season of dissatisfaction we're talking about, that season of restlessness. This is Genesis chapter 30. I'm going to read to you verse 29. The Bible says, Jacob replied, you know how hard I've worked for you and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care. You had little indeed before I came. But your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through everything I've done. But now what about me? When can I start providing for my family? Well, what is Jacob asking really? Because I don't think Jacob's dissatisfaction is about providing for his family. His family is being provided for just fine. What does Jacob want? Well, I believe that Jacob hasn't itch that hasn't yet been scratched. Jacob is in that place where he says, there must be something more in life. And frankly, it's a very common malady in our culture. A lot of young people that I talk to feel that any real opportunity to make something in this world is gone. The American dream that was promised to them is a myth. And they might be right because things have changed in profound ways. A century ago, there was no such thing as Social Security, no such thing as Medicare, no such thing as income taxes, praise the Lord, until 1913 when the 16th Amendment was, was passed. And, and you'd be interested to know, the first federal income tax was 1%, flat 1%. I vote we go, oh, never mind. <laughs> a century ago, the average weekly income was $23. Today, it's more than $1,000. A hundred years ago, life expectancy was 56 years old for a man and 59 years old for a woman. Today, more than 20 years more than that. 77 years for a man, 80 years for a woman. And I'm not sure how you would define the American dream, but today we've seen incredible advances in technology, in medicine, and, and life is much easier now for women and minorities than it once was. And entrepreneurial opportunities in America are still virtually limitless. We are today by far the richest people the world has ever known. In fact, our poor people, people living under the poverty line, are the richest people the world has ever known. So what I'm here to tell you is the demise of the American dream is not our problem. Ours is a heart problem. It's not a, a lack of opportunity that's our problem. Our problem is a dissatisfaction with status quo. Let me tell you what I mean. I mentioned this, this deep dissatisfaction, and I'm telling you that's, that's it's, it's something in our soul. And it's hard to identify, and it's hard to acknowledge, but we yearn for something, something. And if I had to name it, 
I think we have a deep longing to be significant, to live lives that matter. I think something deep within us, we all want to make a mark on the world. Now, Scripture has a name for this life of significance. It's called the blessing. And Jacob strove his whole life to achieve a blessing that he already had, but he didn't know it, so he kept striving. Now, this blessing, Jacob couldn't name it, and he wasn't sure what it included, but what he knew was it was bigger than himself, the blessing was bigger than himself, and he thought he would die if he didn't get it. So where the Bible has a name for a life of significance, our world also has a name for this life of significance, and the world's definition is success. The cultural definition of success is primarily connected to our work, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and it's largely judged by others. And if you think about that, I cannot articulate how stupid that is, that we would allow someone else, someone we don't even like, to tell us whether or not we're successful. But here's the big truth. We, I'm talking about Christ followers here, the church, we know that success is not the same as blessing, and we really want blessing, but we settle for success. Why? Listen closely. Biblical blessing is a spiritual thing. It's not something you can put your hands on. It's not something you can measure. It's a heart thing, a spiritual thing. And blessing, according to Scripture, is a product of surrender. And that's hard. Worldly success is carnal. It's worldly. And it's a product of hard work. And that's much, much easier. Surrender is hard. Diligence is easy. Anybody can do that, so we settle for success. And the path to success that's most available to us is through our career, through our work. And that's the path that Jacob chose when he was striving for the blessing. And perhaps as we look at his situation, we can see some of the flaws in our thinking. There's, there's a couple things I want to show you. First of all, Jacob hoped he might find blessing from being necessary. You know, it feels great to be needed. It feels great to have your boss walk by your cubicle and pat you on the back and say, man, we couldn't make it without you. And even though we know that nobody's indispensable, it's really great for your self-esteem when you feel needed. Jacob came to rely on that feeling. Even while Laban was tricking Jacob into another seven years of hard labor, he appreciated that feeling of being needed. Eventually, though, as always happens, Jacob grew to resent Laban's success on his own back. Both Jacob and Laban knew why Laban was making lots of money, so Jacob went and confronted Laban. I'm done with this. I'm through with being your slave and making you rich. I'm going my own way. And Laban says, wait, you're too valuable to me. Name your price. You're needed. I know a lot of pastors that fall victim to this way of thinking. They think that their ministry is going to fail if they're not there every single moment and they don't have their hand in every decision. I'm not talking about me. <laughs> Stop pointing. 
But these self-important pastors, they arrange things so they're involved in every little decision. Unnecessary to this organization. Well, being necessary just didn't do it for Jacob. It didn't provide the fulfillment he was looking for. So secondly, Jacob hoped he might find blessing from making money. When Laban said, name your price, Jacob proposed a very unusual arrangement. He said, I tell you what, Laban, you take all the sheep and goats that are pure without blemish, and I'll take all the sheep and all the goats that are striped and speckled and spotted. I've never seen a striped sheep, but the Bible says... So Jacob said, I'll work one more year, and Laban uh, could keep all the pure animals. But Laban, who is a sneaky conniver just like Jacob, took all the striped and speckled and spotted animals three days' journey away from the flock so they could not mate with the pure animals. And Jacob found out what Laban was doing. He made striped poles and put them in the ground in front of the pure animals so that when the pure animals mated, they had spotted and speckled and striped babies. Now, I've never seen this mentioned in agricultural journals anywhere, but apparently it worked for Jacob because the Bible says he got rich. I have seen people just like you have that have gone to incredible lengths to get more. What do you want? I don't know, just more. A new wardrobe, a bigger house, an extravagant vacation. But the truth is you can't buy a blessing. Can't be done. Well, that's what you say, Randy, but how would you know? You're not rich. Well, you make a good point. But let's see what Jesus has to say. In Luke chapter 12, there was a man who asked Jesus to referee a family squabble about inheritance, and Jesus kind of brushed the man off with the idea of being missing the point completely. But then he did say this, listen, Jesus said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Does anybody doubt that's true? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions because if you look at Americans, we look like we don't believe that. Then Jesus goes on to tell a parable. He says a landowner had several years of bumper crops and, and when he got wealthy beyond means, and at the end of his life, he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build all these storage units and store all of my stuff, and I'm going to buy a yacht and sail around the world. And God said this, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you prepared for yourself? And then Jesus, as a postscript to this parable, said this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Here's the point. In our society, success is measured by your pile of possession. And that's fine if you believe that success will bring you blessing. But the Bible says clearly that it will not. It cannot. So finally, number three, Jacob hoped he might find blessings from being important. I mentioned Jonathan Ekman being here last week with Voice of the Martyrs. I was having lunch with him on one day this week and a couple other of my buddies. And I noticed that all three of them had on Apple Watches. Now, in my commentary here, and you're wearing an Apple Watch, please do not be offended. I'm not talking about you. Although the shoe fits. <laughs> Guys, what's, what's with the Apple Watches? What are you doing? Oh, you know, it's technology is so handy. I said, what do you mean? What? And, and Jonathan Ekman was sitting next to me and said, 
I don't have to pick up my phone to look at a text. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is really hard. This is so, you are so important now that you can just look here instead of picking up your phone. What are we, what are we thinking? In our world, we've made busyness a status symbol. But if you think about it, the first ever recorded sin was not about lust or money or, or disobedience. The first ever recorded sin was about power. When the Satan said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 5, don't you want to be like God? Eat this fruit, you can be like God. And what that sounds like to us is, work a few hours extra, you can get this promotion. Or you better hurry up, you've not arrived at the pinnacle yet and, and you're, you're burning daylight. Or if you really nail this assignment, you can get your name on the office door. I, I'm stunned by the things that people will do for a title, right? Have you ever asked yourself, what's that about? Why are we like that? When you meet a new acquaintance, what's the first question they ask you? What do you do? I'm always tempted to say, about what? But I don't. When, 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 I, when someone says, what do you do? I usually say, I'm a pastor, but I could have been something else. I'm not a moron. I'm a pastor, but I work more than one day a week. I promise I've got value. The point to all this, listen closely, listen to me. If, you, if you're sleeping, wake up your neighbor. I want you to hear this. Listen. The blessing of God is not found in what you do. The blessing of God is found in what you are. It's about your identity. And the sad truth is for many, many people, their job is their identity. And I'm not saying the jobs were bad because God made humans to work. God was a worker. And the first thing he assigned Adam was a responsibility. We're supposed to be working, but we make it our focus, the center of our being. Now, I thought this was interesting. The term vocation is from the Latin word vocari, which literally means calling. So my question for you is, the job that you currently have, could that be a spiritual calling for you? Psalms 139, I love Psalms 139. I refer it to people all that I can. But, but Psalms 139 says this, In your mother's womb you were knit together. Verse 14 says, Fearfully and wonderfully in the maid. Listen, listen, you were crafted by God like a piece of artwork. And then Psalms 139.16 says this, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What does that mean? That means God designed in your mother's womb, God designed you for where you are at this moment. But Randy, I'm not where I thought I would be. I'm not where I wanted to be. Listen, whether you are an engineer or a school teacher, or a factory worker, God is working through you right where you are to accomplish His purposes. Amen. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that can't be me because my working days are over. Or some might be saying, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I only take care of my babies. Listen, listen. All of your days, not some of them, all of your days were ordained. Yatsar in the Hebrew means predetermined. All of your days were ordained and written in God's book before one of them came to be. Now, 
I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I can tell you, Mama, when you're up with your feverish baby in the middle of the night taking care of him, God is using you. You're working according to God's purposes. The fireman that, that, is, that puts out the little fire and it wasn't really a big deal, maybe you saved a family from being hopeless. Maybe just at your workplace when you encourage someone that's come in and they've been having a hard week at home and you encourage them, what if God is using you right there? What if God ordained that moment from your mother's womb? Children's pastor just got a new job and she was talking to me about some really difficult working conditions. I mean bad working conditions. And she says, Randy, this is crazy because I'm absolutely certain that God was leading me to this job and it's so hard. Well, what if the place where you're called, the place where you're ordained to be, doesn't mean it's going to be easy? In fact, maybe God ordained you to a place and it's supposed to be hard. We know that God meant for Jonah to go to Nineveh and he didn't want to go and it was really hard. I'm thinking of John after the resurrection when the, the disciples all skedaddled back to Galilee and Jesus found them there cooking breakfast and, and he reinstated Peter. Jesus said this to Peter, John 21, 18. You're being sent where you do not want to go. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, I love this. Paul is going back to Jerusalem. And he's in Ephesus, and the, the elders are just crying because they, you know, Paul says, I'm compelled by the Spirit. Think about that. Driven by the Spirit to go back to Jerusalem, and he knows he's going to be arrested and jailed. But this is what he says, Acts 20, 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work, the vocation, the calling assigned me by the Lord, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Now look, most of us are not fortunate enough to have the place, the geographical location of where we work are choosing. Most of us don't get to pick the people that we work with. Most of us don't get to choose our working conditions. And some of them are miserable, I get that. But what if your vocation, if it's filing papers, or manufacturing widgets? What if your vocation is a spiritual calling? What if God is up to something in your workplace and you can't see it, but God is using you to accomplish His purposes? Might that change your perspective about your vocation? Yes. But Randy, I'm not fulfilled at my job. Well, the truth is, your job may provide a path to worldly success, but it will never provide a path to God's blessing. That's your vocation. Only your calling will provide that blessing. All right, let me close. I don't know why I say that. Let me close. I'm not asking. Now, my dad, you say, too late. You should have closed a long time ago. Sorry, I'll never say that again. This week I was texting back and forth with my brother. We're kind of reminiscing about the auto salon. We were so stupid. And we were so young and it was so fun. I remember like racing our motorcycles around the shop building. I don't know why we didn't make it. <laughs> but Roger reminded me about Earl Johnson. I had forgot. This, the first house we lived in, Earl Johnson was our landlord. He was a deacon at our church and just a generous, sweet Man, in fact, I think he might have owned the building that we rented. But he gave us $700 to, 
to get started in this business. Roger reminded me about Leon Pogue, who owns the big grain elevator. He's dead now, but he owned the big grain elevator in Chickasha. And when the oil field collapsed and all these guys came back home looking for jobs, Leon gave Roger a job working in that grain elevator. Tana's dad, Harold Curtis, we both worked for Harold. These are all guys in our church. We worked on cooling towers for a season. And this is a quote. I don't think I've ever quoted my brother in a sermon. But this is a quote from Roger. I wrote it down. He said, church folk, man, I've been blessed by God all through my life. Now, I'm pretty sure that scooping wheat in the bottom of a grain silo does not feel like a blessing. I've done that. If you've ever done that, it's stinky, hot, dusty, nasty work. It doesn't feel like a blessing. But the truth is when you step back like we did this week, and you kind of see the bigger picture, and, and you, you ask Jacob, then you're going to find that the blessing of God is not found in an hourly wage. Because God's blessing is a spiritual thing. It's deeply fulfilling, but it's not carnal, it's kingdom. And God's blessing is found in vocation. So, the blessing of God is not about what He designed you to do, the blessing of God is about what He designed you to be, and that's up to you. Heavenly Father, we seek Your direction. We seek Your path. And our prayer this morning is that You would open our eyes to our callings. And Father, I think that even in these days what it feels like we're at the end of time and the world is about to come to a close, I think it's hypercritical that we're at least aware of what You're doing in a spiritual realm level, in, in, in an area, in a place where we can't see or sm smell or taste or touch, that you're up to something. And, and the Bible clearly says that you've chosen us to be a part. And Father, that doesn't make sense to us either. We wouldn't have chosen Jacob, but frankly, we wouldn't have chosen ourselves either. Because I know my weaknesses. I know my soft spots, and yet the Bible is so plain that you're using me. You want to use weak people, and you've chosen me in this hour to be a part of what you're up to in the earth. So I just pray that you'd help us find an awareness of what you're calling us to do. In that place, be it exciting or dull, help us find that role, that, that, that opportunity to be Jesus at our workplaces, that we might make it not just a job but a vocation, and you might be glorified and the kingdom be expanded in Jesus' name.